Hello, everyone. Just before we start the next episode of Sunrise, a song of two humans with Kevin Slick, I just want to let you know that Kevin Slick also has a new album out, which we'll be talking about during the um, talk of the movie and everything. And I'm going to play the promo for it now, so I hope you enjoy it. Um, just also, before I play the promo, I want to remind everybody that our podcast is up for the Rondo Haddon Award for Best Podcast, and um, how to vote for it is in our pinned comment on our Facebook page at Diecast Movie Podcast. So follow along on the podcast, and please feel free to vote if you want us to be the winner for the Best Podcast entry, which is an honor to be nominated, but hey, it would be nice to win one. And now for the promo from Kevin Slick. Hi, this is Kevin Slick, and you're listening to music from my album, Coming Home. If you like acoustic roots folk music, I think you might enjoy this new album. album is available on all the streaming platforms like Spotify and Tidal and other such ones. Uh, you can also download copies from Bandcamp or Apple Music and sources like that. And if you'd like to buy a physical copy, check out the store at kevinslick.com. Hope to see you sometime soon. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Diecast Movie Podcast. Today I'm going to be joined by Kevin Slick, singer-songwriter extraordinaire with a new album out, Coming Home. And he's going to be joining us to talk about a movie that we rolled the die and we rolled drama. And he picked the movie Sunrise, a song of two humans. But how are you doing today, Kevin? Well, great. It's great to be here. I'm enjoying chatting with you and hanging out on this nice day and Hopefully we'll, we'll uh, share some things about this movie that uh, might get some folks interested in checking it out. I had never seen it before until you picked it out. It's a silent movie from 1927, which we'll get into more detail about in a second, but it's, it's a very good film. But I said you're a singer-songwriter, and your new album is out, Coming Home, which people heard the promo for just prior to us starting this. Anything you want to say about um, what 
prompted you or what led you to a particular song or whatever? Because I know you've been working on this album for years. Yeah, it's well, this particular one is is a lot of songs that I've recorded over time. And um, I collected them together. So, so, so these, these songs all kind of go together. They all fit together and make sense together, sound similar. And uh, was able to get them remastered uh, at a wonderful uh, studio here in Colorado. And um, I was just really pleased with how they sounded because they were recorded in various situations and settings and such like that. And uh, hearing them remastered, I thought, well, this would work. This would be a nice thing to put out. And I chose the name Coming Home because um, I've been doing music, uh, performing, writing, recording for well, close to 40 years now. And for the last 10 years, I've been playing pretty strictly bluegrass music, playing in, in a couple of different bands out here in Colorado, mostly as a mandolin player. And my focus there is being a player in the band, being part of the band, helping the groove of the band and playing and, and singing some. But uh, I've just recently had the chance to start playing some more gigs on my own as just a solo artist, um, which has been kind of nice. And it's made me remember like, oh yeah, I actually know a bunch of old songs that I could sing from various other artists. And I have all these other songs of mine that maybe don't fit exactly in a bluegrass band, but they work fine as a, as a sort of Americana roots thing. And, and bluegrass as a genre has become a lot more expansive these days as, as far as what kind of fits. And so I've actually been able to do some of this at festivals and, you know, some of my connections to the bluegrass world too. So I, I saw it as like coming home to the type of music I've played most of my life. And that's, that's where I came up with the title. And I have the album I got from your website, and I've, I've enjoyed it. But when you talk about bluegrass, one thing I want to mention, um, what do you think of Rhonda Vincent? Oh, she's great. I mean, she's, she's the queen. She's the queen of bluegrass. Um, and I've uh, had a chance to photograph her at, at some different festivals and, and work with her and talk with her a bit. Uh, incredibly friendly, incredibly, uh, you know, outgoing and interesting and she just puts on a heck of a show you know she's one of these kind of artists that um you know the the beatles the beatles talked about when they used to play in hamburg the crowd would yell mach shall make a show like give us something to watch um she does that she comes out you know and puts on a really excellent show top-notch band you know they got the banter they got the jokes they got the stuff and the songs are tremendous and um She's just, you know, I see her as like a real, you know, a real professional artist, you know, someone who comes out and play at the Grand Ole Opry or can play at a festival and be out someplace, you know, playing to a bunch of people in the field. It doesn't seem to matter. She puts on a great show. One thing I always tell people with movies, and I'm going to say this with music also, is if you get a chance to see a performer that you've never heard of before, do it. Rhonda Vincent yeah. and the Rage was playing in Frederick, Maryland, it was about 20 years ago. I had tickets. Never heard of a song. I just knew she was a bluegrass group. You know, bluegrass player and a bluegrass group. That's all I knew. And I knew bluegrass from, you know, Hee Haw days and all that stuff. So I was familiar with the genre. And I just went, and the show was amazing. 
I mean, it was just one of those things where you're just hearing the songs for the first time. You're feeling with the crowd. You're feeling the emotion come from this performer. And that, that is just something that was just uh, an experience that I'll never forget. It was, it was very joyous. And I think, like with music and movies, books, certain things, take a chance. You know, if you see it, something, you know, just go in, walk. If you have nothing to do one day, go to a movie theater and just go see a movie. Day. Pick it by random, you know. I'll go see this yeah. one. You might, you never know what you're going to find. Yeah. Well, one of the things I, I'll throw out as a, as a further pitch for bluegrass um, as a genre to, to check out for people is bluegrass is a very community oriented style of music. I mean, people get together and jam. They, they get together and play music. They do it at festivals here in Colorado on any night of the week. You could find two or three places you could go take your instrument and go and just sit and jam with people. And the top bluegrass artists, people like Rhonda Vimson or Del McCurry or people like that, you go see them and you can also go talk with them. They're, they'll hang around and they'll chat and they'll, you know, sign your CD and, and talk to you. And it's just so much more approachable, which is, is a wonderful thing. You really get to feel like, I know something about this person. I can connect to them. Yeah, I never had the, the opportunity to meet her in person, but I felt connected to her through her music. And I think that is one of the lovely things when you get a creative presence where somebody with their music and your album does that too, where you can feel a connection, where you can get to understand where somebody's thinking, especially when they write most of the songs on the album. Um, also, even if they didn't write the song, how they, how you interpret the words and the music and take it for your own soul and put that out there. And the same thing with movies, when you have a director, an actor, or any type of performance where they take the work and they put it through their own body and they come out with it from their own perspective. And if, you, if they do a great job, you're able to see part of them, but also feel that force, that energy come through in that performance. And I think uh, you did an excellent job. She is just off the charts. Amazing. <laughs> Well, thanks. It's it's great to be great to be spoken of in the same the same conversation as, as someone like Rhonda Vincent. Well, the, 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 as you said, coming home is not bluegrass; it's something different. And I think that is something where a lot of performers, when you when you hear their music, people think of them only as one type. And the thing is, is yeah. a, a lot of musicians enjoy all types of music, and those they're able to try not try, but do those other things to feed that creative spirit that goes on with them is something I think is something I always like to look forward to. I like it to see when an artist tries something different. They don't always succeed, but you know, I'm talking about succeed in financially or maybe critically, but for themselves, they might succeed because it fulfills their, their mindset, their soul. Yeah. I, I enjoy, I enjoy variety too. I like, you know, I don't watch all the same type of movies. I don't listen to all the same type of music. And um, yeah, it. it uh, I I would say I'd rather gleefully try to uh, confound people's expectations at times, just because like, okay, well, it doesn't all have to sound the same, and it doesn't have to you know be about the same topic or something. It could be different. And that's part of what I love about the die, our show, the Diecast Movie Podcast, because we roll the die. We have the different genres, and each mm -hmm. 
movie we do, I don't know what genre it's going to be. And then I have other people come on. So a lot, most of the time it's my children. Other time it's people like yourself that are filling in for them when they're busy doing other stuff. And it's, you get that different perspective. And I love about it is you get to find movies that you, I have never seen before. And hopefully the people listening to this probably have never seen before, but then we'll go seek it out if we, you know, cause it's yeah. something that's out there. It's readily available. It's on Amazon prime free with ads or IMDb free with ads. So you can get the IMDb app or whatever, if you don't want to have Amazon prime and you can watch this movie has ads in it, but the ads were not too intrusive and it, it works rather well. Yeah. I liked, I liked, uh, you know, when you, when you mentioned doing an episode, uh, it was intriguing to me, like, you know, you, you roll the dice and it's like, okay, it's drama. And I just, I didn't even think about it. I was like, okay, well, let's do this. You know, that was the first, the first thing that popped into my mind. Uh, I love the film a lot, but I liked that aspect of it being kind of spontaneous. It's like, okay, what's, you know, like word association. Yeah. And I think because sometimes when you ask somebody what movie you want to do, it's, it's, there's so many different genres out there. So you narrow it down a little bit. You got it down to, okay, it's one genre. Now, of course, there's a lot of different movies could fall into multiple, multiple genres. So you could yeah, st sure. still have a pick. And uh, your only question to me was, do you do silent movies? And I'm like, as long as it's readily available, it, we cover all types. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, silent, I love silent films. It's certainly, it, it's a, it's a, a whole genre in it in and of itself that I, that I love. And, um, I really got into silent movies, um, thanks to Forrest Day Ackerman in Famous Monsters of Filmland, um, because I was reading that magazine as a, as a young teen. And, you know, he went on and on and on about Lon Chaney Sr. Um, was fortunate to live, grow up in a college town where movies like that played on campus occasionally. And then, there, the public television station uh, associated with the university had two or three different silent movie programs that were on. And so I got to see, you know, some of the films, some of those films like Phantom of the Opera, Hunchback of Snoop Dogg, and things like that. And then started seeking out other ones. And, um, and I, at a certain point I realized, you know, yeah, I love watching these Lon Chaney movies, but I really just love the whole silent movie thing. That's like, that's it and i started then seeking out more uh, more of that and then you know once it got once we got to the age of uh, video cassettes uh, and then later dvds was, oh this stuff is yeah i can actually find this stuff fairly easily now and, and see these films i've heard about for years and it's been you know it's still it still amazes me there's still wonderful stuff coming out like the napoleon films and the british film institute version that they put out that sort of thing is just wow that's you know something i've heard about for the last 30 years of reading about this kind of thing and i can see it it's incredible yeah joshua kennedy um and i did a thing with napoleon we watched the bfi version you know five and a half hours i think it was if i remember it was five and a half hour version and that was my yeah. first time seeing it he had seen it before and that is a totally immersive experience and for people that want to hear about it Go back in our archive. It's there. It's it's, it's a... sorry. That was that was my uh, that's all right. My tone. 
someone sent me a text and it shows up on my laptop as well. Nice. It was a totally immersive experience and which I just loved about the movie. It's out there. It's, it's in our archive. Go seek it out to listen to it. This movie is, is similar in that it's a silent movie and, but it's totally different in story and plot. It's a very intimate story of really about a man and his wife. And literally, I think that's the name of their characters, the man and the wife. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it strikes me that it's, that it's kind of a, uh, almost mythological sort of story or, um, because yeah, the characters are man, wife, woman from the city are the three, the three primary characters in this. And as you said, it's a, it's a simple it's a simple story. Um, one of the things that I've thought about watching this film again recently is human beings love stories. We love stories. I think our brains are wired to you know. If you show, um, I teach uh, art in public schools, and one of the things that I talk about with kids sometimes is how you know our brains are are wired to create stories. You could show, I could show you four pictures and we can create a story just based on those pictures, you know, because that's the way we think. And watching this made me realize once again, that stories don't have to be convoluted and incredibly complex. A story can be very simple. Um, I used to teach writing and that was one of the things I did with students to say, tell me a three sentence synopsis of your story if you can't tell me that the three sentences then it's probably something too too complicated you know so and i would use this the example there's a girl and she is unhappy with her present situation and dreams of something better she travels to this amazing land of fantasy where she encounters you know friendship and hardship and and difficulty as well and threats and realizes that being at home is where she wanted to be all along Three sentences, boom, visit a bar, the end. You know, it's like, that is the story. And then everything else is is the icing on the cake. Uh, and so this is a simple story. Yeah, it's, um, it, it plays out like like a drama like that. And to give, if you can give listeners um, a brief synopsis of the story, so that way they'll know what we're talking about. But don't don't spoil the ending, because I don't think, I don't think most of our listeners have seen this movie. Okay. So yeah, so there's there's the man and wife, um, George O'Brien and Janet Gaynor. Who Janet Gaynor won um, the Academy Award for Best Actress for this role, uh, and she's just she's just angelic in it. She is the perfect looking, uh, sweet, dedicated wife, you know, and mother. Very plain in you know in the, in the way they make her up, and they're, they're living on a farm essentially, and you know, and so, um, and uh, <clears throat> this place where they live apparently is a, a popular tourist place where where people come to visit and picnic and whatnot. So the woman from the city comes, and she is trying to lure away the man, the wife, the man, you know, the husband. She's trying to lure him away. To come to the city, come to the city and, and have all the fun and excitement and listen to jazz music and do the Charleston and, and, and we'll, we'll be in love and it will be great. And 
matter-of-factly suggests that he kills his wife. I mean, it's pretty. It's, it's there's some pretty harsh stuff in this story too. Um, and you know, so the question is, is like, well, are you going? Is he going to throw away his his idyllic country life? Although, albeit, you know, somewhat peaceful and maybe even boring and predictable for this dramatic. Uh, sexy, you know, vivacious woman of the city and all the excitement of the city life. But that's the question, what's going to happen with that? And um, it it has always struck me as this, as this sort of mythological story, like, you know, good and evil kind of at play. And I watched, um, since the, the film was directed by F.W. Murnau, uh, and it was the first film that he made I believe coming to Hollywood. Of course, he's well known for the German films, Nosferatu, The Last Laugh, uh, Faust. Uh, Faust he made the year before this, and I watched Faust this past week and realized, okay, so it's kind of a similar story because you know Faust is offered wealth, power, everything from the devil. Uh, you know, in, in exchange for his soul, essentially. And what is it that that causes Faust to um, go back on his bargain with the devil and, and essentially, and eventually in the end of the film of Faust, defeats the devil? It's love. It's this, the love of this woman who's, again, also a very plain kind of woman from the country, you know, that, that that Faust meets and falls in love with, and it's none of the, you know, none of the royalty or the fancy parties or anything like that. That's what, that's what saves him is love. And so, in Sunrise, you know, the question then is, is will, will the character be saved by love, or will he, indeed, sell his soul, it, uh, to the woman from the city who is essentially the devil. Devil with a blue dress, perhaps. I don't know. It's black and white. So I don't know she's wearing a blue dress. But, but she, she's bad. She's bad. That's for sure. <laughs> she's hoping to lead him astray. And so, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's the simple story, really. Will he be led astray or will he um, go with true love? I, I enjoyed it a lot with Georgia, Georgia Bryan. Janet Gaynor playing those main roles because as you said with Janet Gaynor playing the wife, she is just innocence, purity, you yeah. know, and the, the mother of his child and everything and how she wants to see the best come to play. And the movie already starts off with the man already in the affair with the woman from the city. It's already set up you know, where she whistles for him to come out. So they already got this thing set up. So he's already having an illicit affair. The town, some of the townspeople even notice already. Um, I don't know if the wife does or not. You know, it's a small area. Sometimes word gets back. It's hard to say. But it's it's already set up with the seduction in place. And as you said, when he, when she suggests to him to drown his wife, because he was like, come with me to the city. He goes, but my wife. And he goes, well, you could take her out of the boat. She could drown. The title card, I thought, was one of the most – I've never seen this 
with a silent movie. I've, I haven't seen as many silent movies as you have, but I've seen a few where at the, when they're talking about her, the title card with the words sinking off the card as if the words themselves were drowning. I, I just, whoever yeah. did the titling, I thought that was just a great effect. I don't know whether the director told them to do it or whether the titlers came or whether it was both, you know, but it, that was an amazing effect to set that, to set the tone. Yeah. And that's one of the things about this film that, that I love. And, and a lot of the film critics still talk about is uh, the inventive use of camera and uh, the way the camera moves and the settings um, from the sort of country settings, which are very, you know, fairy tale looking like, you know, you almost expect to see like unicorns come out <laughs> by the trees or something because it's, it's very much that, that kind of thing and a lot of it at moonlight uh, lit. And in the city, the city scenes, you know, this kind of crazy commotion and, and uh, wild action of the city um, and just various moving shots and tracking shots and things like that. Um, late, late era silent films, uh, say from maybe 20, 1925 or thereabouts to, to the end of the silent era, I think are some of the most beautiful films you'll ever see because they had really worked on the craft of making films. If you figure the first full-length motion picture, you know, full-length drama, probably The Birth of a Nation in 1915. So 10 years in, they've really honed a lot of the craft of making films. And they're not tied down with, by a microphone or anything like that. Uh, one of the one of the filmmakers, uh, one of the photographers of Sunrise, I was reading about it. They had they used for parts of it, sort of the standard uh, silent movie camera of that day, which was somewhat portable, but uh, kind of big. Uh, they had also came up with a new camera that was used in Sunrise that was had an electric motor to it, so it didn't have to be pan cranked. And it was smaller and could be carried around easier. It wasn't like the, you know, uh, the one, the still cam, you know, sort of balanced kind of thing. But still they could move. And there's certain shots where they're moving through a crowd or they're moving through the forest that are really uh, just have this wonderful dreamlike quality about it. And because they're silent movies, um, to me, they, they do have more of a dreamlike quality in the way that you watch it because you have to become immersed in it because you have to pay attention to the visual cues going on more so than, you know, a film where you're also hearing dialogue and it's like, okay, I can, I can sort of tune out a little bit, but I could hear what the person's saying. Uh, there you have to really kind of give yourself over to the dream of the, of the story and, and just go right along with it. And the film starts off dark because yeah. it's, it's, it's in the first act where he's going to follow through or not with the D. Now, I think we, you know, we can kind of spoil it because it's the first fair. We're not going to spoil the ending. But he does not follow through with trying to drown his wife. And they go to the, the city because he's, he's taking her out for a trip on the, across the river, you know, across on the, on the, across the water. And he goes to the city, they go to the city together and they have, he has to re-win her over. And I thought the scene where 
the church bells are going off and you do hear the church bells going off. Yes, it's a silent movie. It doesn't mean there's no music because when these silent movies are played, music would be accompanying them. So the music is here with it and the music plays a critical part to this movie. You ha- you know, it really sets up some of the cues and some of the other things of what's going on in the mood. So sound of the music is it, it, it really portrays a lot, but you hear the bells and they go to the church and he is then reborn, I guess, with his love for her by seeing that yeah. thing and realizing the vows and the emotion that he's going through and that she goes through. And then afterwards, it just, the, the, you can feel the darkness cleansed from his body and her body. And they're, and they're both back to being young lovers again, so to speak, enjoying this day, the rest of that day in the city. And it goes comedic for the longest time. It's, it's funny little incidents. Yeah. Yeah. They, they play that really well. I, I was going to mention too, one of the things that, that I appreciate about her performance is, as you said, there's, there's the point where he's really in the throes of trying to decide if he's going to go through with this plot to kill her. She gets, she realizes what's up and her whole body just kind of shrinks into this, like, you know, curls up, you know, kind of thing. And she won't let her touch him and, you know, touch, touch her. And, and uh, he's trying to, you know, he realizes the mistake and he's, he's trying to make it up, but she's just not there, as you said. And then they happen to wander into a church where there's a wedding going on. And that's where, you know, they're kind of, reborn i think is a good description she just begins to sort of flower again and open up and connect and and yeah there's there's some lovely comedy where um they go to a uh, i guess a, a barber's uh, salon and he gets a shave you know that's the other thing and he he you know because he has this sort of stubbly beard and stuff like that he gets a shave and you know comes out looking like this you know superman now like this very charming fellow and there's some lovely comedy in there where there's a guy that sits down what she's waiting for him is a guy sits down next to her trying to pick her up and uh, it's just really it's some great some great humor like you said it, it, it would pass as a good as a good comedy what i love so great about it just before the guy tries to pick her up the manicure girl comes over to give him a manicure as he's getting to shave and He's he he doesn't want anything to do. And she is looking so intent, like what is going to happen here? And she's looking at his hand, and he's like, and, and, and the whole time the barber it keeps pushing him back down, and he's got the, yeah. the shaving cream all over his face, and he's and he's like not even knowing. It's getting worse on him, and, and finally she leaves, and and you could see the wife be like, ah, he's oh, he's yeah. you know because she's gets, and then he gets jealous, just- and he keeps trying to catch those glances of what what's that guy doing with my wife. I just, I just loved yeah. it. It was just, it was just so well played by all the performers. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the music in it. Um, one of the things that, that's interesting about that film and um, even with the late era silence, it's fairly unique is um, that film had a, a soundtrack that was created for it that would have been played on sound disc large records basically so it when it was in the theaters at least in the, the big theaters that had sound systems because uh, a lot of theaters were starting to you know have sound systems by that time 
um, the sort of sound effects, either like in the, some of the scenes in the city with car horns and like train whistles and all that. So, and as you mentioned, the the bells they they, they hear they hear these bells from a church, and you know, it's, and it's great because they're not like super loud at first. You sort of oh wait, what was that? Oh, and they kind of turn like oh 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 let's go see what's going on at that church, and it turns out to be a wedding. Um, but yeah, the music I love. There's there's a scene where people are calling, they're calling out, and they use like a French horn, like you know, so sound like that uh, as as the sound of the person you know calling across the water, and it's it's marvelous. It's just it, and it's like the photography is in so many places in that is so wonderful. The city scenes are great, and I love there's the one scene in the water where he's in a boat he's holding a lantern and they're looking you know and it's coming like right towards you and it's just this gorgeous shot you know in the, in the dark and again that's i think an element of the late era silent films where they were they'd really developed the the way to shoot films like that and they developed the way to shoot films in low light too they, they sort of worked that um and it, it I think sometimes watching films like that, or let's say, uh, oh, Laugh Clown Laugh, or The Unknown with Lon Chaney, or Flesh and the Devil with Greta Garbo, you, you go watch uh, like an early talkie, and it's like, oh man, <laughs> you know, it's because they're like, they got every, they got, everyone's got to stand close enough to the microphone. You got to be in a room, you know, that that has this. It's just, it's so, um, so confining. Whereas those ones, like, wow, we got the whole the whole world to film in. And what I, what I also loved about this film was the frequency of the title cards, which is very infrequent. So there's, because yeah. I think with a motion picture, when the whole medium is you want to see the performers do it. And, I, and I, sometimes I'll do this with current films. I'll, I'll watch it without the dialogue. You know, without the, just, just watching the performers, you know, sometimes if it has, if it has like, um, another language, I'll put that language on. So it's a language I can't speak. I don't understand it. So all I hear is the music and I can see the performance. And if you're able to understand what's going on, then, you know, the director, the writer and the, and the actors are able to get across, you should have the general gist of what's happening. You might not yeah. know every intricate detail, but the general gist and I think with silent movies, especially if they have it, the, the, the lack of the title cards like this one does, you're you're putting everything on the cinematography, the actors, and the director to get that across, and it's just wonderfully done with their acting. Um, when the man has the weight of the world on his shoulders, you can tell by the way he's walking, barely able to walk, you know, because he's so heavy. And then when He's asked for forgiveness after the wedding thing, how he's just, his whole body language, his ebb and his flow, he's so much lighter. It, it was, you know, you can just tell from that, those two parts, how he's, that weight's off his shoulders. Yeah, there's that scene um, after they've reconciled where they dance in a, in a club where, where people, you know, are encouraging him to dance and he's very shy about it. But then he starts dancing and it's like, oh, these guys are, Tremendous, you know, like doing this wonderful 
wonderful dance. I read that um, for some of those scenes, uh, O'Brien they put weights in his shoes to make his make his feet heavier so he would walk slower. But um, there are the scenes, yeah, where he is like really angry or where he's really conflicted. He, he you know, he almost looks to me like he reminded me of, of Karloff and Frankenstein, this sort of huge hulking character, not really saying anything, just kind of with this stare, you know, and, and um, yeah, and then he could be this other other thing completely. Um, it's it's also uh, I I one of the things I like about the film is it's fairly it's fairly slow moving in terms of their their reactions and their and their emotions and their actions. You know, some of the comedic stuff that you mentioned is is played a little more broadly, but a lot of it is just very subtle and and. I wondered if that is an element, because um, Murnau was was known for his German expressionist film. That's kind of where he's considered in that category. And a lot of those uh, films that fall under the German expressionist uh, category, like The Last Laugh or Pandora's Box, something like that. You know, I, I caution friends of mine if I'm from trying to turn on a side of like, well, if you want to watch, you know, this. Uh, be ready because it's like four hours and it's really slow. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like beautifully filmed, but there ain't no action going on here. There ain't no exploding cars or things like that. You know, even the James Bond movie, this is like really um, focuses on the light, the shadows, the, you know, the, the facial expressions. Uh, and this one kind of has that to an extent too. And I think actually the sets in the city remind me of some of those expressionist films like Metropolis or something like that. They sort of, uh, things are askew, they're kind of wacky and weird and like the buildings don't quite look right. They're not, they're not, uh, they're at odd angles and everything like that. And it, it kind of portrays this sort of mayhem of, of city life. And, I will say this. Opposed to the, 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 I'm sorry, you, you, what were you saying? I was just saying. As opposed to the country scenes, which are like, you know, daffodils blooming in the fields and beautiful trees. And I will say, after watching this film, you can appreciate crosswalks and traffic lights so much more. <laughs> Getting it across the road back then was, was nightmarish, it looked like. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's a lovely scene where, where she's, uh, they've, they've ridden on a trolley in, into the downtown and she gets off. And yeah, it's just like they're stepping in front of cars and horses and people are running and everything is going like crazy. It was uh, um, brings back brings back fond memories of when I used to teach at Thirty Third and Third Street in Manhattan and would have to <laughs> walk across town, you know, across the streets and past all the people on the sidewalks and stuff. When I was when they were doing that, it reminded me of a live action version of Frogger, and they were the frogs. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, indeed. Yeah. But this movie, you're talking about movies that are four hours or whatever long, and like Napoleon's five and a half hours. This is a is a lean 90-ish minute movie, so it does yeah. move along. And mm-hmm. for modern audiences, as, as, as Kevin said, there are going to be some spots where it's going to they stretch things out. Now, you can look at it one of two ways. I look at it as allowing the actors a chance to let the movie breathe, let the, those performances come through. 
and I think you're able to do that in this film because the plot is very simple. The, I mean, yeah. it was true, but the, the beauty of this one is the performances. It's almost like a movie I can think of that came out not that long ago. It was, well, I should say it came out in the eighties, the whales of August with Vincent Price, Lillian yeah. Gish and Betty Davis. Again, mm -hmm. it was a movie that was designed on relationships and allowed people the chance to breathe and and allow those performances to come through and i think as i've told listeners before the older i get the more i'm drawn to and i think even when i was younger i was drawn to this a lot also is characters the, the, the story the character I'm, eye candy is eye candy it's it, it it it's it's like candy it's great for it a little bit but it doesn't fill you where you have characterization those stay with you forever that's like a good meal where you can savor it and enjoy it. And I think that's some people are drawn to the candy, which is fine. That's what candy, you know, yeah. I, I enjoy those movies too, but when I want a fulfilling meal, I want a story and characters that you'll remember and enjoy. Yeah. There's several scenes from both, uh, with both O'Brien and, and Gaynor where you're seeing them going from one emotion to another. And, you know, it's, you see this play out on their face and their bodies. Um, and so, yeah, it, it might be whereas in, um, if you were using a film with dialogue, you might have somebody say something and the scene, and that part of the scene would be five or 10 seconds. So maybe here it's like 20 seconds, you know, and you're seeing her go from this, you know, uh, well, you see it kind of both ways. You see her go from this sort of, happy, contented, you know, at, at peace kind of person, and she realizes her husband might be trying to kill her, like to this horror, you know, and just cringing sort of thing. And then you see it go back the other way when she, you know, they reconcile. And, and that, those kind of changes. And, and his, there's several scenes where he is, where he's kind of going through his conflict of, does he want to follow the woman from the city or should he be with his wife? Where you see him run through this whole gamut of emotions, and it's just, his face or maybe his like his shoulders the way his shoulders move or something like that and that and so yeah that takes you said that takes a little bit a little bit longer like, you gotta, gotta cook cook that meal a little bit longer than throwing it in the microwave it's not, it's not <laughs> a microwave microwave macaroni and cheese <laughs> no, no that is good but it's not it's not as good as having a nice meal <laughs> yeah and exactly. i will say there is one spot where the movie where where the wife moves fast and that when that boat lands after he he decided yeah. not to kill her when it, when he hits the other sh the other shore man she is like boom off to the races she is gone i mean she's like the fastest sprinter i've ever seen she's up the hill falls still keeps going and it's like gone yeah, to the trolley is that because she falls she's like running up they're running through a forest she's like jumping over you know trees and stuff like that I wondered if that fall was like totally, you know, by accident and they like kept it in. Oh, it's good, you know, because she's frantic, she's running. Uh, but it works. It, it adds to that scene where she's so, because prior to that, you're right, prior to that, she's been this very calm, peaceful, she's the woman who's, you know, feeding the child and feeding the ducks and chickens out in the barnyard and things like that. And she's, you know, now she's like, you realize this is that terror that's, that's in her and it really comes out in that scene. And then where he's running after her and 
you know, tripping and falling too. There's like, it's a great kind of chaotic scene that again, it's like, that's the emotion. These people are, are frantic. She's frantic for her fear, for fearing for her life. And he's frantic realizing that he has caused this woman, you know, that, that he, that he does love and has spent his life with. He's caused her this, this turmoil and this pain. And he wants to, clearly wants to make it right. But, but that's, there's something people can relate to. Like you've done something wrong. You've hurt someone. You, you want more than anything in the world to make it right. And it's not working. <laughs> you know, this isn't the moment. You're going to have to wait or you're going to have to do it differently. Yeah. Right. Oh, definitely. And one of the things that you brought up earlier with the village scenes, when they're, when they're in the, the home looking face, like I was thinking of more, of a black and white version of a Thomas Kincaid artwork type type setup of the cottages. And it it totally sets up those two different worlds where you have this idyllic cottage village where everybody knows each other and everybody's supportive. And you got the, the city with, which has a lot of character in its design and everything, but it's less um, human. It's more, its own entity, you know, less, less community, more, especially people in the street trying to cross the road and everything like that. People are more seem to be concerned about themselves and less about the other people. Whereas the small village life, people are more concerned about everybody else, which plays a big part in the end of the movie yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's, it's one element that I think um, is maybe where I could say they're, they're using kind of a broad stroke. That, that might not relate to everybody uh, is that it seems like the city, as it is with with like its jazz music and and that sort of thing, is kind of portrayed as the as the kind of the bad the bad thing or the you know uh, it's it's the thing it's the candy it's like yeah you know this is exciting it's fun we're dancing we're doing the Charleston it's great it's lovely we're having a great time though. You know, we don't care, and um, as opposed to this sort of solid farm life kind of thing. But it's probably something, I mean, I, I think it works on a metaphorical level. And I think a lot of people at that time, you know, in the 20s, were moving from countries to cities. They were working in factories. They were moving to, to large cities where they could work in a factory or, or do some kind of job like that. Um and uh, it's kind of interesting. I just happened to think sort of the, the tie back into bluegrass music. That the, the bluegrass music, in the, which began in the 40s, has a lot of themes about the people that, you know, left Virginia and North Carolina, things like that, and moved to Chicago or, you know, to, or moved to Detroit to work in a car company or on an assembly line. And, you know, it's that longing for and missing of like, you know, there's all these songs about, I miss the simple life. I miss, you know, why did I leave the old home place? You know, why in, and thinking about the old folks at home and all that sort of thing. Um, on one level, it might seem kind of cliche or it might not relate to people, but I think most people probably can relate to a desire for home and a desire for love and stability and, Maybe a predictableness too, even though you know there's sometimes this pull of it's wild, it's crazy, it's fun, and nonstop. We're gonna be partying like it's 1927. 
Um, <laughs> they probably had some wild parties in 1927. I mean, they were they were loading up for the crash. There, they were they were they were building up for it. But um, yeah, there's, I think that's that's some of the universal themes that people can can relate to. Well, I definitely think so. And we brought up about how this was. I'm not sure if we brought up earlier, but this movie was acclaimed at its time. You already brought up about how um, Janet Gaynor was awarded Best Actress, you know, not mm-hmm. only for this movie, but back then they went for the body of work that came out that year. So it was also for with two other movies that she had done, um, Seventh Heaven and Street Angel. So she was, I haven't seen those other two movies, but I mean, you could from this performance, I could see why she got the Oscar. I mean, it was de- definitely well-deserved. This is, by the way, if I'm correct, this is the first Oscar. So she is the first. Yeah. She's the first. And yeah, and then this one won, uh, what was it called? For Unique and Artistic Picture. Yes, uh, Best award. Unique and Artistic and, Picture. Yeah. And Wings won for Best Production. Was that what they called it? I think uh, it was or, Outstanding or, Picture. Outstanding Picture. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, that they, they awarded different Oscars. That's interesting because, you know, I know in recent years they've talked about, well, should they have like an Oscar for best, well, I forget what they're going to call it, popular movie or something like that. But it was essentially getting to the fact, the idea that like, well, is it really appropriate to talk about, I don't know, like a movie like The Godfather alongside Avengers Endgame, like <laughs> both big films and people like them, but aren't they like so drastically different that maybe you give but yeah, so it's, I, and I believe that was the only year they did that was that they gave um, uh, two pictures, two best picture awards for that. And did it did it win for cinematography as well? Yes, it did. Yeah. Charles Rochner, Rocher and um, Carl Strauss both won for cinematography. Yeah. So it won. It was nominated for four Oscars, one in three. It lost in best art direction. So it mm. was highly acclaimed, and I really think. Unique and artistic picture should come back because there's a lot of movies out there that might not be the most outstanding picture, but it, it rewards a creative filmmaker to really push the boundaries. And there's some things I've seen and you've seen which are totally unique and or artistic, you know, whatever way you look at it. Um, Wes Anderson movies come to mind right off the top where they're always pushing different boundaries and looking at different things. Tim Burton, you know, there's a lot of different creators out there that have really gone with unique and artistic. And I think maybe it should come back and which would be interesting. You know, you have the two different categories and it's same. I think this is the only time it was done. And yeah, and I really think I haven't, I haven't seen wings in a long, long time. I did see wings a few decades ago and I've never seen it again. You know, I think, Wings, like some movies that have won Best Outstanding Picture, when you see them decades later, years later, they don't hold up as well. Well, this picture, I think, still holds up. Yeah, yeah, I've seen Wings recently, and in a lot of ways, it's a good, the two of these films together are a good comparison to modern films, like you were talking about, because Wings is is enjoyable, too, and it is a much, quote, bigger film. It's it's these wild, you know, dramatic uh, airplane battles, World War, the World War One, you know, story, uh, and it's it's got a great storyline, great plot, um, and great acting as well. And it's it's just bigger. It's the, the big, you know, the big dramatic scenes and things like that. And so, um, this is a is a is a quieter kind of 
sort of more focused. Um, and yeah, I it, it's one of the things that that's interesting to watch it. I would say if someone is going to check it out, it's worth doing a little bit of reading about it beforehand. Or I guess just listening to this, hopefully we can give them some some insights. But there's so much in this in terms of the way the camera moves and the way lighting happens and things like that. That this was the first film doing it. Like if we look at it now, it's like, well, yeah, of course, it's a guy walking along the water at moonlight. That's exactly how it would look. But you think like, well, no, no one had really shot it like this before. Or this scene where you're going through a city and there's all the chaos coming at you from all directions like well no nobody did that before this is like this is ground zero for this kind of this kind of a shot and then you realize like yeah this is uh this is where people borrow is what artists always do artists always borrow from uh from each other and pick up on oh that's a great that's a great idea for a, a camera shot i'm going to use that in my movie or you know that's a that's a nice sound on that guitar i'm going to use that in my recording and for people wondering, like I said, how's it hold up today? AFI, when they did their 100 years, 100 movies, the 10th anniversary edition, it was number 82. Now, how many movies yeah. have come out in that 100-year-plus mm-hmm. period? I mean, you know, what, hundreds of thousands, millions? I mean, it's hard to say. Number 82? I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's still, yeah, it's still highly regarded, uh, film critics. And I would say... As somebody who loves silent movies, uh, I mean, I when you when you said drama, I, I picked this right away, if, if I recall. And it's because um, when people ask me what's my favorite movie, I just say this, this is Sunrise. Um, and in truth, you know, there's a lot of other movies I really love too. Um, but it's one, if I was going to, if I'm going to say this to someone saying, you know, what are some silent movies I, I should watch? Never seen a silent movie before. I would say this one. I would pick Flesh and the Devil with Greta Garbo. Uh, maybe The Unknown with Lon Chaney. Senior would be three off the top of my head. They're late era silent films, like 26, 27, 28 era. Um, those would be three I would, would pick. Maybe The Gold Rush with Charlie Chaplin is, a, is another one because there's a little comedy in there too, but there's so much inventive filmmaking in that. Um, there are definitely ones I would I would pick and say, yeah, this is, this, even to like a modern audience who's never seen a silent film before, if you're willing to at least, you know, give it the chance to be different than what you've typically seen, I think, I think you'll love it. And listeners, listeners, remember, this came from the same director who did Nosferatu, and this is the 100th anniversary of Nosferatu. And that is one of my favorite horror films, period. I'm not counting Salem, but I still think, for me, I I still think that is the best version of Dracula, even though they call it Nosferatu. It's just, to me, that's the best one. And it was, it's, it's not called Dracula, but it's based on dracula by brahm's joker and and it's just a wonderful thing and it's the same director who did both these things so and we talked about you with bluegrass and other types of music i love it when filmmakers don't get stuck in the one genre they, they play with all of them yeah. and i think that is the way to go it's like if, if as a creator if, if if the if the muse is hitting you 
to go and try different directions, try it. If you stay with the same thing, then eventually I think you feel like you're stuck and, and, you, and you get into a rut in creative-wise because you're just putting out the same thing and, and eventually you'll show in the work where the, the filmmakers, the artists, whatever way you want to look at it, that, that are always are pushing their boundaries and trying different things. I think that's when you can find those periods where you're hitting gold. They might not always find yeah. gold, but at least they're trying to find gold. They're not digging in the same hole that's been mined out. They're trying other spots. Yeah, and people must have recognized that. I mean, I guess it was Fox that brought um, Murnau to, to Hollywood to make uh, Sunrise. They must have obviously, you know, having looked at, at films like The Last Laugh or Faust or Nosferatu, said, okay, this guy really knows how to make a movie. and probably, you know, recognize he could make anything like you throw at him. But it's interesting, you know, I was looking for some different tie-ins between these different films. So uh, Sunrise is about love. You know, it's about the redeeming quality of love, true love. Faust is redeemed by true love. And in Nosferatu, the vampire is vanquished by the woman who will stay with him until the sun rises. You know, and so the, she kind of does that as a selfless act. And it, it, so it seems like he definitely must gravitate towards stories that have the woman as like this really strong character whose selfless love redeems everybody. That, that part seems like that, that follows a lot of his films. And, and that's what I love about him as a creator. Strong female characters. Well written. Back mm -hmm. in the 20s, people, this is not like some kind of 19, I mean, 1920s, not the 2020s. So this is, mm -hmm. you know, it, it can be done. It has been done. And yeah. and, those are, and that's why I think a lot of these movies will stand the, the test of time because, again, the characterization, everything is, is wonderful. And I'm going to thank you for bringing this to my attention. And to think about it, you brought up a, when you said earlier on about the three-sentence story or plot and you used Wizard of Oz was eventually finding out they had to go back home. In this story, yeah. eventually, they all go back to the country and home. And you have your yeah. album, Coming Home. <laughs> perfect. That's the per I hadn't thought about that. But yeah. <laughs> that this is obviously meant to be. It's right there. I mean, I mean, you can't just say the synergy. I mean, you know, the, the, the storylines for this episode is like, basically, you know, there's no place like home except coming home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> perfect, perfect. But thank you for joining me. And um, just before we exit, pick the number one or two. I, I pick the number one. Uh, I will pick two. Two. Okay. So I'm, I'm rolling another die, so that way we'll know what genre that Kevin has to pick if he wants to do another episode. Oh, this is fitting. Musical. <laughs> oh, excellent. Excellent. You don't wow, have to tell okay. me now. You can you can think about okay. it for a little bit. But because musical, okay. I know, I know I know I could just see it in your eyes. We're listeners you can't see it, but we're Zoom doing we're doing this by via Zoom. And his eyes just lit up it's like, oh. Oh, it's like it's like yes and no at the same it's time. Like, musical. Oh my goodness! Yes, I will. I will think of some because there's wow, there's so many that I love. Exactly, yeah. it's like happiness and sadness at the same time because he can only pick one. Yeah, but that's just the way the die rolls. 
is. That is Rated Edge. Yes. Well, actually, I've, I've got one. And I, should I tell you what, what oh, I... Oh, sure, I, sure. If you want to tell me. Yeah. We'll do uh, Singing in the Rain because that is a perfect tie-in to where we've just been because it's about the, that transition from silent to talking movies. Uh, and it's, it's one... I mean, there's so many kinds musicals are so many fantastic all but Roger Hammerstein but uh Singing in the Rain is is by far one of my favorite movie musicals that that could be like a whole genre too films musicals that were made as a movie as opposed to Oklahoma or Sound of Music a, a Broadway show translated to to a, a movie format mm-hmm. yeah one that I enjoy that movie one of my favorite musicals is Yankee Doodle Dandy which one day I'm going, to make, I'm going to make sure we do. <laughs> I, I was glad to talk about that one sometime. I love, that's another great one. I love that one. It's such wonderful uh, music in it. And I love, there's the one scene, I don't know if it's totally apocryphal if they made it up or something like that, but there's the scene where um, they're, they're in a restaurant on New Year's Eve and they're watching all the people outside being all crazy and everything like that. And uh, Cagney, as George M. Cohen says, there it is. The greatest show on earth, the human race. And I always think, yes, yes, that's it. <laughs> and listeners, sadly for you guys, you'll have to wait till we cover that episode at a later date. Um, and maybe maybe Kevin will be back when we do Yankee Doodle Dandy. There, there could be a tie in there. Um, we might do it. If, if you want us to do it, let us know feedback wise. We'll make sure we do it. Again, Kevin, thank you for joining me for Sunrise. Thank you so much. I'm always glad to talk about, about silent movies. And it is, it's been great, great chatting here this afternoon. I look forward to talking in person next time we're at, uh, at a convention together. Yeah, Kevin and I get to see each other at least once a year at Monster Bash, um, sometimes twice a year. <laughs> Depends on the schedules yeah. and that kind of stuff. But it's, uh, it's always enjoyable having conversations with you. Um, listeners, um, stay with, stay tuned for next week's episode. Our next episode will either be another movie decided by the roll of a die, an interview. Um, otherwise, stay safe, have fun, watch Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans. It's available for free streaming, so you can watch it and enjoy it. It's it's definitely well worth it for both of us. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our discussion of Sunrise. I just want to remind everybody that. Hammerama is coming soon with Alistair Hughes and myself. We're going to be talking about different Hammer horror films, and um, that's going to be debuting in a Mar- March 23rd. I'm going to be playing the promo for it to end the episode in just a minute. Also, I wanted to let everybody know that our next episode, I'm going to be talking with Richard Dizel, who most people probably know as horror host Count Gordival, who's been doing the horror hosting duties since the 70s and is still going on strong on his website and um, we're going to talk about horror hosting how he was a tv personality and also the various movies he's been in including one of my cheesy favorites the alien factor so i hope you guys come in to the next episode and listen to that it's a wonderful interview otherwise stay tuned for the hammerama promo everybody have a good day bye i'm al from new zealand and I'm Stephen from Maryland, USA. We are Hemorama. Welcome to our new podcast, Enter Freely. And of your own will. Part of the multi-award nominated Diecast Movie Podcast, 
Hammerama is a wide look at the world of hammer horror from either side of the globe. Each month, we will throw a die to decide which category from the film vault of Hammer we are going to discuss. The Dracula, Frankenstein, or Mummy Cycles, science fiction, prehistory, or the experimental 1970s. We will cast our international eyes across, then and now, reviews of the movie. Its place in the Hammerverse. Our encounters with the stars. A film poster critique and unusual associated merchandise. So join us for our bite-sized discussion of Hammer's gory glories, stitched together from both ends of the earth. Hammerama is a proud part of the Diecast Movie Podcast.